Romans 8. Romans 8 says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So I want to start with this question to ask you guys, you guys to ask yourselves, what is God's ultimate will for your life? I think that we live in a culture and society where we frankly idolize the will of God. We're like, I got to find the will of God. It's like this treasure hunt, right? Well, I got to find, I got to find the girl, got to find the job, got to find the house, got to find the location. And, 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 I, and I think there's merit in that, but I think that we've created a culture around finding God's will for our lives that we've actually missed out on what it actually is. And I really do believe, and we see this here in Romans 8, that God's will for you is actually less about what you do or where you go, but it's about who you become. Because here's the thing, guys. God can send you to the nations and make that clear, and God can give you the husband or the wife that you've always dreamed of. But what if you can't even steward it? Because you have not become who he's called you to become to steward what he wants to entrust you with. Does that make sense? That God's leadership and where you go and what you do will always be rooted in who you become as a result of that thing. So God's will before you ever existed was to become like his son. <laughs> That's it. God's will for your life is to become like Jesus. And what you do and who you end up with and where you go will not compromise that. That as a creator, do we have any creatives in the room, artists, musicians, right? As a creator, when you create something, right, and you finish it, you become pleased with what you created because it embodies its original intent. Does that make sense? So when you create something and you finish it, and you finish whether it's a painting or a song or you're building something, when you, when you finish making that thing, you look at it and you're pleased with it because it embodies the original intent and why you made it. Right? If you made like a chair and it's falling apart every single time you sit on it, you wouldn't be pleased in it. Right? Because it didn't embody the original intent of its design. This is where this comes in. This is why faith pleases God. Because faith positions you to be put in a place of dependency, and it's only in the place of dependency that you become like Jesus. So when you operate in faith, when you live by faith, the word says that the righteous shall live by what? By faith. When you live by faith, God is pleased because you are embodying his original intent for your design. Because when you live by faith, you live like his son. When you walk by faith, not by sight, you actually embody Jesus. Because it's only in the place of dependency. This is the key, right? The word faith literally means to put all of your weight onto something, okay? It's in the place of dependency in faith 
that you actually become like him. And it's in dependency that God's kingdom operates and expands. So let's go to John 18, 36. Jesus says this. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. I think hopefully we've all acknowledged at this point that the kingdom of Jesus doesn't look like the kingdom of this world. Hopefully we've realized that. (laughs) I think a lot of us don't. But the kingdom of Jesus is so countercultural to everything that we know and that we're taught. Right? We did a, a serious thing last summer on the Beatitudes. And we see the things that Jesus calls blessed, the world actually calls cursed. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. And so in Jesus's economy, in the economy of the kingdom, the things that he actually elevates and says is blessed is so opposite to how we're wired. All right, this is why we're transformed by the renewing of our mind because we're having to be renewed into his mind. How does God think? What does God value? And so as we're diving into these spiritual disciplines, these spiritual practices, it disciplines us into a new kingdom way of living, which is the way of his son. And as we see here in John 18, that his ways are not of this world. And so we can't expect the fruit of Jesus by living no differently than the world. Are we literally saying that this morning? So I want to break this down, right? We've been talking about Sabbath. We've been talking about community, talking about prayer. And today we're talking on fasting. But in the world, we are taught to strive and hustle. Instead, we are invited to live from rest and Sabbath. That we fall into isolation and shame. Instead, we are designed to live in proximity and community. That we are addicted to noise and distraction. Instead, we are refreshed in communion and prayer. That we indulge and gratify our earthly desires. Instead, we fast from the flesh and feast on the Lord. Is that good? And so when we're talking about these disciplines, right, these aren't like these religious things that we have to do to hopefully God loves us back. But this is a part of the process, where we talked about this last week, of sanctification, which is the journey of your soul, right, which is your mind, will, and emotions catching up to what's been renewed in your spirit. You guys okay? Okay. So when you received Jesus, Jesus looked at you and he gave you his nature. Your default operating system is to operate like Jesus. I don't know if you guys knew that. You may look at your life and be like, that's not true. This is why truth sets you free. That your default is actually righteousness if you've received Jesus. Right? He who knew no sin became sin, so you would become the righteousness of God. And so the journey of sanctification, the journey of of following Jesus is our soul catching up to the reality of who we are in the spirit. 
And so as we journey through these disciplines, which are simply learning to walk how Jesus walked, that's it. It's learning to walk how Jesus walked. It's in that process that we will start to become like him. I love this in John, 1 John 2, 6. It says this very straightforward. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That'll preach right there. Whoever says, says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Because abiding is how we produce fruit. It's only in abiding that we will bear the fruit of what? The spirit, right? Which is the nature of Jesus. And so these spiritual practices that we've been diving into the past few weeks enable us to walk in his rhythms. And so today we're going to dive into our final practice on the power of fasting. You guys ready? All right. So fasting, just to define this for us, fasting is to deny the flesh and feed your spirit. It is to reject food or something that you're dependent on to draw closer to the Lord. I think out of all the disciplines, right, community, prayer, Sabbath, fasting is probably the hardest. Not only because, you know, we probably all really love food, which is like the default. I know for me, I'm like a a foodie at heart. So whenever the Lord tells me to fast, it's like, oh gosh, no, not again. But I think at its core, why fasting is, is, is probably one of the hardest spiritual disciplines to engage in is because it requires us to die to ourselves the most. Community does that in a way. Prayer does that in a way. Sabbath does that in a way. But fasting really gets to the core and says, hey, anything that you're dependent on can't suffice anymore. It has to be Jesus. It literally positions you in a place to die. Literally. I love what John Mark Comer says. He says this. He says, fasting is a willing abstinence from food for a period of time. It is one of the most important and least used of all the practices of Jesus. For thousands of years, it was a core practice of followers of Jesus. That we live in a culture not only of food, but of excess, of luxury, and of addiction. For so many of us, the desires of our body have come to hold power over us. In the battle with our flesh, we have become its slave, not its master. Just end the whole sermon right there. In the battle with our flesh, we have become its slave, not its master. So I want to dive into just the, the, the reason of why we fast, Matthew 9.15. This is a very teachy sermon, just so you guys know. All right? A lot of scripture. Matthew 9.15. It says this, Jesus answered, how can the guest... Oh, this is so good. How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Say, then they will fast. So Jesus is being challenged. He's saying, hey, John's disciples fast 
right? The Pharisees, everyone fasts. Why don't your disciples fast? And he gives them this, this picture and he says, they don't have to fast right now because I'm with them. But there is a time when I will leave and my, my disciples will have to fast. Because fasting brings you into a place of longing for your bridegroom. Fasting positions you in a place of longing. We don't fast just to like punish ourselves, right? If that's what you're doing, it's just a diet. But fasting actually positions you into a place of deep longing. But what he says is, there will be a time when I leave, which already happened, by the way. Then they will fast. That Jesus clearly teaches that his disciples with a will fast. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, when you fast, not if. It says, when you fast, it was expected of us. That ultimately we fast because Jesus fasted. That fasting is a discipline. Say the word discipline. Fasting is a discipline. And we cannot be a disciple if we don't allow God's discipline into our lives. Love this quote. I shared this a few Sundays ago. The best form of self-love is discipline. People didn't really like that quote. I think it was just Ashley. The best form of self-love is discipline, right? A train is most free when it's on the tracks. I think for a lot of people, oh, you guys aren't gonna like this one. Oh man. A lot of people live undisciplined lives and call it grace. But the reality is, if you want fruit, you have to sow seed. Yes, God's grace empowers us. We're here because of grace. His grace is constantly being administered to us through His Spirit. But relationships, right? Remember, it's a relationships. Relationships take two parties. Doesn't just take one person giving grace for you to have a vibrant relationship, right? One person in the relationship can give grace forever. And you're like, I don't want it. I don't need it. I'll just do whatever I want. But faith is actually receiving the grace. That faith that works is what? There you go. But fasting is a way to sow to the spirit. And so at its core, these disciplines alone can do nothing. But with the Lord, it's the key, with the Lord, they get us to the place where real transformation can happen. Philippians 3.19 says this, this verse. It says that their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame, their mind set on earthly things. Their glory is 
in their shame, their God is their stomach. Guys, this is an appetite issue. It's an intake issue. But who knows that God is moving right now in our nation? Are you seeing it? Yeah. See the Lord moving in college campuses in Asbury and Asbury and other campuses in, in the U.S. And I think I even saw in the Philippines, there's like a revival happening, really crazy, powerful things that people have been praying and interceding for. But one of the things that is so important for us to understand is that God almost always moves in the opposite direction of the idols of our age. I love the, in Asbury, right? The, the banner at the top of their building says, holiness unto the Lord. It's the banner under, under everything that's happening. I think that's really prophetic. But God often moves in the opposite direction of the idols of our age. That the idols of our age we're seeing moves towards sexuality, of independence, of indulgence. But the movement of the spirit, listen, is toward a greater holiness and a radical surrender. Holiness unto the Lord. Thomas Kempis, he says this, refrain from gluttony and you will all the more easily restrain all the inclinations of the flesh. That there is something about your appetite that leads you into the object of your desire. Your appetite leads you, right? If you want, if you're hungry for Mexican food, probably gonna get Mexican food. If you're hungry for attention, you're gonna move towards where you get attention. If you're hungry to just feel love, you know, you'll just move towards wherever, wherever the closest thing you can feel love. Your appetite will lead you. And so, so this is why Paul says that their God is their stomach. All right. So there's three key things I want to mention about fasting for us to, to really understand the power of it. The first thing is this, that fasting starves the flesh and feeds the spirit. Taking notes, fasting starves the flesh and feeds the spirit. Galatians 6, 8 says this, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. That as Christians, your, your maturity is tied to your appetite. That quickly your appetite will reveal what you desire in the direction that you are going. I say, th- I say this a lot, that what feeds you will lead you. What is the thing that feeds you the most is often what's gonna lead you. If it's success, right? So if it's for stability and and, and all these things aren't bad things, but you cannot have two masters. I don't know if you guys knew this, but there are a thousand or more taste buds on your tongue. And the more that you expose your palate to what you want your tongue to appreciate, the more you'll like those things. Growing up, I hated spicy food got spicy food lovers in the room. Yep. Hated spicy food, couldn't eat it. And then in like 
high school, all my friends are Mexicans. It's all of them. And you know, when you go to their house, it's going to be spicy. And over time, my taste buds started to develop because I would just keep eating spicy food. Right? I'd be like crying, like, <laughs> like crying is so hot and like my mouth is burning. But the more that you start to eat it, your appetite starts to grow for that thing. So the same thing with developing a hunger for the things of God, the more that you receive and engage with that thing, your appetite will start to change. And this is why fasting is key. It's because fasting is about replacing your appetite. Fasting is about replacing your appetite. I love this quote. It says that fasting is more about replacing than it is about abstaining. If you've ever struggled with fasting, this key will help you. It's less about just abstaining from food or not doing something. It's actually about replacing what you are so dependent on. Right? We're, 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 we're designed to need to eat. It's not a sinful thing. But when we actually, for, for those of you who fasted, when you actually remove food out of the picture, <laughs> and then one, you realize how much time you actually spend eating, preparing for food, all that time. But then also your hunger, you realize how dependent you actually are on something. And so fasting replaces your hunger to hunger for the Lord. Such a powerful thing. And so I just want to encourage you guys in this. If you've had an appetite for something contrary to the things of God, fasting is a powerful tool to experience freedom in your life. So I'm going to give this fasting tip number one. Replace each meal with intentional time of feeding your spirit. Whether it's reading scripture, worshiping, soaking, meditating on the Lord, listening to his voice, whatever that is. So when I would fast for prolonged days, what I would do is breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> it was time to eat. I had to spiritually feed myself. So I'd replace each meal by just going alone with the Lord, going outside, sitting right in, in a room somewhere and just receiving from the Lord. And this is one thing that I would say every single time when I would engage the Lord in that way, I would say, Jesus, you are my supply. Jesus, you are my supply. My stomach's like rumbling, right? It's like, right? Mine is like extremely loud for whatever reason. And every time that would happen, I'm okay. Jesus, you are my supply. You are my provision. You are my daily bread. So replace each meal with an intentional time of feeding yourself. The second thing is fasting adds fuel to our prayers. Ezra 8.23, it says this. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. This is really important that the goal of fasting is prayer. If you're here last Sunday, right, we taught in prayer. If you weren't there, go back and listen to it. But the goal of fasting is prayer. That fasting without prayer, again, is just a diet. That's it. You know that feeling after you fast, if you fasted for a prolonged time, you're like, man, I've lost a lot of weight, you know? All the water weight is gone. 
But that's not the goal. The goal is prayer. That fasting is a way to simply add fuel to our prayers that without prayer, fasting is like pouring fuel on a bunch of logs. <laughs> All right, it's not effective. The quote says that fasting is more about longing for the power and presence of Jesus than it is about restricting our appetites. And so fasting allows us to pray better prayers because in it, we become aligned with his heart and his will. Our motives become pure and we start to long for what he longs for. Comer actually teaches on this and he says that fasting is a way of growing in the power of the spirit. That there is always a connection to our level of holiness or set apartness to our level of power in the spirit. Right, Jesus said that this kind can only go, right? The disciples went to Jesus to try to cast out this demon and they're trying and nothing happened. Like Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And Jesus says this, this kind can only go out through prayer and fasting. That there's something about fasting that actually consecrates yourself. That says, God, I, I, I'm going to reject what I am dependent on and I'm going to fully become dependent on you. I'm going to fully give myself up to you. And in that, your desires start to become what he desires. And so when we pray, our prayers now become filtered, not through the noise and the mess and the stress and the worry. It, 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 we, we enter into a place of deep connection and alignment. So fasting tip number two is that hunger pains are a trigger to pray. Hunger pains are a trigger to pray. Anytime when you're fasting, your stomach starts growling or you start craving some Taco Bell or whatever that is that you crave. That's my fasting craving is Taco Bell. Is use your hunger pains as a trigger to start praying. The third one, this is a really good one and not a lot of people are aware of this, but fasting is a form of preparation. In Matthew 4, 1 to 3, right? Jesus was baptized, the spirit led him to the wilderness. It says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. This is important. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. The tempter came to him after he fasted and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. That Jesus fasted in preparation of being tempted by the devil and in preparation of the beginning of his ministry. That it wasn't until this moment, it wasn't until he was baptized, the father said, this is my son, my beloved. He initiated him into ministry. It wasn't until this moment, he was led by the spirit to be tempted and overcoming the devil. Out of that, he started his ministry. That fasting is a form of preparation. 
going back to the topic of discipline, that discipline isn't punishment, it's training. Discipline isn't punishment, it's training and fasting trains you, right? Who's, who's ever run a marathon in the room? All right, we need to, we need to work on this. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't, I haven't run a marathon. We'll have a, a church running club. Um, right, you don't just wake up one day, roll out of bed and say, I'm going to run a marathon. Or say, I'm going to wake up, roll out of bed and complete a marathon. Let me be specific, right? It just doesn't work like that. You have to train for a marathon. And so the same thing with your calling, <laughs> you don't just wake up one day and roll your bed and say, I'm going to save the nations. I'm going to see revival in my city. That if your calling is something you can do on your own, it probably doesn't require faith. If your calling is something that you can do in your own strength, let me just say this. You can ask the Holy Spirit. God's probably not on it. Because we're made for partnership. We're made to see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You don't just do that in your own strength, guys. That doesn't just happen by, you know, having a lot of Instagram followers. Oh, this story, there's a, a pastor named Manny Arango. Um, and he shared, he shared this journey that him and his wife, they had infertility problems um, for years. They couldn't have kids. They couldn't have kids. And they, they started doing, I think, IVF. Is that correct? IVF. And, uh, you know, it's really expensive. They had to go to, I think, Mexico to do it. And, and they kept doing it. And there wasn't as much progress. And, and it was just a really hard journey. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, Manny, if you want to see great results, it's going to, why don't you do something radical? And so he said, you should fast for 40 days. 40 day fast, just water, no eat, nothing. So he did it. So he fasted for 40 days. They finished his fast. They go to the, the treatment and the doctor's like, there's just, you know, you don't have enough sperm count. It just, it just, it's not really possible. We, it's not really worth doing it anymore. And they're just at the tail end of it. They're super discouraged. And literally like scientifically, it just, it, the, the probability was like so, so low from it even working that the doctors were like, it's just, you know, you guys should probably just go home. And in the moment he heard the Lord, this after his fast, he heard the Lord say, stay and keep going. And so he heard that, right? They're discouraged. They're about to go home. He heard the Lord stay, just keep going with the treatment. They did the treatment. They eventually got pregnant out of that treatment. And he shares this story. He says, if I wasn't fasting for those 30 days, I don't know if I would have been prepared to be able to hear the Lord so clearly in the midst of my discouragement. That fasting is a form of preparation, that it helps you to respond in the middle of desperation and to endure moments of difficulties. And so here's fasting tip number three, that before a new transition or season, fast as preparation. 
Every year I do this. Every year, before every new year, I fast. Lord, I need vision, I need direction. I want more of you. Every new transition, I fast. If I'm in a place where something's happening, I have to fast. So I want to encourage you guys with that, that if there is a new season and you're like, man, I, I don't really know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. I don't have as much clarity. This is such a powerful tool to prepare you for what's next. The fourth and last one, you guys ready? Is that fasting allows us to hear God clearer. Who needs to hear God for something right now? Come on, be honest. Yeah, a lot of us. Acts 13 verse 2 says this, that as they ministered to the Lord and what? Fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So it's in the process of them worshiping and fasting that they're able to hear the Lord speak for direction for the ministry. And so, in this, we see that's in the place of fasting that we are placed in a deeper place of dependency, that all of the excess and the noise and the clutter gets pushed to the side, our appetite gets replaced, that so we start to hunger for what he hungers. And it positions us to be deeply connected to the Lord, right? It's literally saying, Jesus, you are my daily bread. <laughs> you are my living water. You literally are all that I have to sustain me in my day. Think about the level of clarity you will walk in if you live like that. That God, as we know, is a communicator. He's constantly speaking, whether it's through your dreams, through scripture, through a spirit, but often we're too busy or too distracted or too unaware of his voice that we actually miss it. I think some of us have this realization that God's just gonna speak when God wants to speak which to an aspect is true. There's also a reality of it's a relationship and God's constantly trying to speak to you, but you have to be positioned to actually hear him when he's speaking. Right, God's not a vending machine. God, speak now. I have a problem, speak now, give me, give me the answer. But when you walk in this level of clarity, you'll be able to hear him clear. So fasting tip number four is this, if you're struggling to hear God's voice on a situation, then fast. Fasting isn't about changing God, it's about changing you, right? So if you're struggling to hear, so everyone who just raised your hand, here's a challenge for you, fast. All right, so let's get to some practicals. You guys good? So I wanna just talk about some practicals just to, to help us out. There are four uh, specific different types of fast. The first is a complete fast, uh, which is water only, right? No food. Um, I think only like once or twice in scripture, we actually see someone do a fast with no water. And so don't do that. You'll die in three days. Um, it's scientific. You know, if the Lord tells you to do it, talk to your pastor <laughs> and uh, we'll pray through it. But a complete fast is, is, is kind of the default complete fast. Water only, no food. There's a partial fast, which, you know, if, if you can fast one meal out of the day, right? Skip one of your meal. It could be sun up to sun down or cut out certain foods, right? That's what the Daniel fast is. Then there's a soul fast, which is cutting out 
entertainment, social media, TV, just whatever distractions clutter your soul. Um, I did a a 30-day just soul fast where I cut out TV, social media, internet, entertainment, everything. And you kind of realize how badly you're dependent on those things. You're like, man, I, I, I'm like done with working. What do I do now? It's like, it's got to pray, right? Um, but it was honestly one of the most powerful fasts that I went on and uh, got a lot of freedom in that place. And then the last thing, obviously, is a corporate fast where as a church or as a community, you're fasting for unity or for breakthrough in a specific area. So we'll probably do that sometime. Um, one fasting, this is important, decide what you're fasting from and for how long, right? Don't just go into fasting without being intentional in how you're doing it. So decide what you're fasting from and how long. And then also seek what you're fasting for, whether it's transformation, whether it's miracles, whether it's more intimacy with the Lord, whether it's freedom from addiction, whether it's to hear God's voice, seek what you are fasting for before you go into it. And then incorporate normal one-day or three-day fasting as a normal rhythm throughout your year and throughout your life, right? That we as Christians, we don't live in reaction to things. Oh, something's wrong, I'm gonna pray. Oh, something's wrong, I'm gonna fast. And that's not bad, we can do that. But what would happen if we live in victory and live in a place that I'm going to constantly feed myself spiritually and stay prepared for what's going to come? And the last thing is that when going on a prolonged fast, make sure it's prompted by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so if you're going on a 30-day fast, 40-day fast, no food, just water, make sure it's prompted by the Holy Spirit. Because if not, it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of hard work and striving. I've done that. All right. Could we have a, the band come back up? Thank you, Jesus. You guys good? Is this helpful? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. So I want to say this, just as we kind of wrap this up and wrap the series up, is that the heart of fasting is consecration. This is it. The heart of fasting is consecration. That consecration is to devote or set apart something to the worship or service of God. And as I was praying and just even praying about how to end this series and end this sermon, I felt like there was just a call on us for consecration. That consecration carries the connotation of separating, of holiness and purity. And like I mentioned, to be set apart is not a reaction to what is happening around us, but it is the response to stepping into who we are designed to be, which is to be like Jesus. So let's just stand Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. But Romans 12, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. This is your true and proper worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.